Good morning, everyone. It is good to see all of you guys. Shell's just helping me out with the pulpit chair. What teamwork, eh? What amazing teamwork. What a couple. It's really nice to have you guys with us, Jeff. And also nice to have you here, Snoops. But it's great to have friends here from different parts of the country and the world. And also just cool thinking, like as Jane spoke about the faces in the crowd, just thinking of some of the things going on at the moment. Um, we actually haven't celebrated the fact that Zut got engaged about two weeks ago, but that is something we do want to celebrate as a church. I'm sorry if I miss anything, but I know it was Tom and Courtney's one-year anniversary last weekend, which is something we can definitely celebrate. And I also know for Carmen and Nick, it's their one-year anniversary next weekend, but I think Carmen's down with the kids today. I'm not sure where Nick is. He's gone. You know? Oh, he's just over there. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Some of you with a sharp eyes, well done for picking him up. I'm sure there have been birthdays and other things going on, other anniversaries, but it is just uh, special to celebrate the life of what is going on in this community. And we're in a series at the moment around life in the spirit, the kind of life that we want to live together as a community. And really what we're hoping in this series is that we would break out of all the kind of mindsets that we've got are not helpful when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think for some of us, we've been shaped by our past and our experiences and by things people have said, which are not necessarily true or what the Bible has to teach about this topic. And I'm just hoping that we can come back to the scriptures with fresh eyes and just let God speak to us about what life in the Spirit looks like. And then for faith to stir, to start to live in this stuff and experience it. We don't just want good theology. We want to practice and live all of these things out. And we don't just want life in the Spirit on a Sunday. We don't want Sundays in the Spirit or life group meetings or church meetings in the Spirit. We really want all of life in the Spirit. So that's what we're trusting for as a church. So I just want to pray for us this morning and then get into it a bit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Even as Nate and the band have sung that incredible song, we welcome you here, Holy Spirit. And we just ask for more of you. Lord, we open our hearts up and our minds up and just say, would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you point things out in our lives which maybe need changing? And would you reveal yourself more clearly today? I pray. Amen. I think for some of us, maybe as we come to the Holy Spirit, we see it as a bit of an added extra in our lives. You know, uh, We can do life in Christ, but we don't really need the Spirit. And some of you might have noticed, it seems like restaurants are changing a little bit at the moment. So you can go and you can order yourself a burger, and then it arrives and there's no chips on the side. You know, Back in the day, you got it all on one plate without having to check, but now there's all of those sides, zucchini fries, fancy, um, probably carb-free options that you might want to go with. And actually, you need to order those things separately. They're added extras. And I think for some of us, we think we're like that. You know, I'm just, I'm a burger guy. I'm good to go. If that burger comes, I'm a really happy guy. Ordinary Christianity, that's all I need. I don't need the added extra of the Spirit. But I'm hoping this morning as we speak about this a little bit more, you will see that all of Christian life is characterized by life in the Spirit. This isn't an added extra. This is what we need to know God and follow God and obey God and be the church that he's calling us to be, as Jeff was speaking about, in the city and beyond. And I want you to know also, if you're a Christian here, the Spirit isn't just an added extra. He's something you already have. He's someone already living inside of you. So 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says this, Do you not know that your body is? That's a currently thing. Your body is, not might be down the line, not will be if you do this, this, and this. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have. Present tense. You already have him living inside of you. He's a gift from God. And that's a big thing for us to understand. The Spirit is inside of you. 
God is living inside of you. But I think one of the pictures that God has given to me as we've prepared for the series is this picture of an unwrapped present. The Spirit of God is a gift that Jesus has given to us. But I think for many of us, we've taken that gift for whatever reason it might be, and we've put it under the bed of our hearts or in the cupboard of our hearts and just left him to the side because we don't feel we need him. He's just an added extra. And I think part of what God's wanting to do in this series is unwrap the present that we can live life in the Spirit. I think he wants us to know you might have the Spirit, but there is more of him that he wants you to experience and have and know. And this morning we're going to look at Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 21, which really paints this amazing picture of who the Spirit is and what he does and the kind of community he's wanting to shape. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, it will pop up on the screen just behind me. But this is what life filled by the Spirit of God looks like. So Paul the Apostle writes, and he says in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, how you live your life, how you live out your faith, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that is sin. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Guys, the book of Ephesians is a really amazing book. There's a little spoiler, but we're going to be going through it in a couple of weeks or months' time. And what has really struck me about this book is it touches on so many important parts of life. So the book of Ephesians speaks about identity, which is massive in our culture at the moment. It speaks about relationships, about marriage, about family, about work. It speaks about spiritual warfare. It speaks about the gospel. It speaks about a ton of these big topics. I'm excited to get into that too. And it's amazing to me that Ephesus, which is a harbor city like Durban, was based around this port and was big on trade, is so relevant from the first century to us in 2018 Durban. So if you want to start looking through that, I think it's going to be significant for us. But when we get into this book, we see that it's broken into two halves. The first half of Ephesians is talking about everything Jesus has done for us and everything that you have already in him. It's amazing. It sets this incredible foundation for the life that we're called to have. And before Paul writes anything about what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, he tells us what Jesus has already done for us, what is already yours in him, your position in Christ, which is guaranteed and secure and sure. And probably the most famous verses in the book are found in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. They say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And what's just struck me about that is how the Scriptures teach us that Jesus has done everything that we need. He's done it all. I think the the natural thing in our culture, in our families, in our lives, is what we have to bring to the table, what we have to pay or do to earn God's love or to be saved or forgiven or go to heaven one day or have these benefits or blessings that the scriptures talk about. But what this promises us is Jesus has done it all. All we need is him. All we need to do is cling to him and hold on to him for a relationship with God because Jesus has done it all and paid it all for us. Anything else that we bring is unnecessary and it's probably not as good as what Jesus has done. In fact, it's not. All we need is him and what he's already provided. And I was thinking of a picture that just goes along with us. I want you to imagine you're on a ship 
It's a ship of sin. And you're out at sea and the ship starts to sink and it's going down and you know that you're absolutely toast. It's late at night. All you see around you is black. The inky black darkness of the sky is all around. And you just know, you're standing on deck. You know, in just a little bit, I'm going to go under and I'm going to die. And then this light pierces the darkness. It's another boat coming towards you, you know, and that light starts to get brighter and bigger as you start to hear the boat moving, maybe the occasional honk, honk, or that's probably more a truck. I don't really know what you've got in a boat to make that noise, but that honk comes through the sky, and you know you're saved, you're saved. And that boat comes towards you as you're on the deck, just the last bit of wood showing you on the highest point, and they reach out their arms and they grab you and they pull you to safety in the chip. You have been saved. That's what Ephesians is saying. And it would be so crazy for any of us, after a moment like that, you've been rescued out at sea from sure death to throw a press conference because you need to tell the story. And when you get there in front of the journalists and the reporters and the cameras and everything, you say, guys, we did it. We were out at sea, the boat was going down, and we saved me. Because that's just ridiculous, you know? The only thing that you add to your salvation or your rescue is the need to be saved. Everything else has been done by that other ship. Everything else has been done by those rescuers. They have reached out to you and pulled you to safety. And that's what the gospel promises. And I just thought maybe you're here today and you realize you are that person for whatever reason it is. Whether it's sin or something else, actually you are sinking at sea. And today you need to see that light come through the darkness and that ship coming towards you and those arms reaching out to save you. That is what Jesus is wanting to do. He wants to save you and bring you into a new life to a new reality, and to a new relationship with God as a son, as a daughter, forgiven and redeemed from your old life, brought into a new life in him. That is the message of the gospel. That is what Ephesians is all about. And Paul lays this foundation for a couple of chapters so we know who we are and what Jesus has done and all that is ours in him. And then he starts to speak about what we're called to do. How do we live now that we're in Christ? How do we live now that we've been rescued and saved? What does it look like for followers of Jesus to follow him in this world? And he gives us this really interesting list of seven things in this passage. Seven do's and don'ts for the Christian life. Let's see if any stick out to you. Number one, do look carefully how you walk, how you live your life and how you live out your faith. Number two, don't be unwise, but be wise. Paul is dropping some serious truth bombs here. Don't be unwise, guys. Be wise. Number three, do make the best use of the time. And I thought to me that probably stood out to me on this list, you know. How many of us, our phones or entertainment or Netflix or the internet or something, are not making the best use of time? We're just spending hours and hours a day on things that don't really matter. And we know it doesn't matter, but we're stuck in that habit. Make the best use of the time. Fourthly, don't be foolish. Fifthly, do understand the will of the Lord. Number six, don't get drunk. And number seven, do be filled with the Spirit. Someone came to you in this room today and said, listen, I'm a baby Christian. I became a Christian today. I get what Grant was saying about that rescue ship. I understand all that foundation about what Jesus has done for me. And I understand my identity and my position in him. I've got it all. But what do I do now? Can you give me seven things to do? I don't know if your seven would look like Paul's seven. I don't think mine would, you know. But I think that's maybe something that should wake us up a little bit. The seven Paul gives are obviously significant. So what does that mean for us here? And after Paul gives us one list, he gives us another list. Not of seven things, but now of four. Four things that a community of faith like this, filled by the Spirit, looks like. Firstly, he says that kind of community is addressing one another 
in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I think we maybe find that a bit funny, you know. We go, yeah, well, we sung that today. We sung praise to God. But actually, in our praise and worship, we're not just singing to God. Now, I don't want you to hear the wrong thing here. I'm not saying worship is about us. Worship's not about us. It's about him. It's always funny in church when people are like, ah, I didn't really enjoy the worship today. You're like, well, it's not for you. You know, it's for him. Worship is for him. So that's okay. As long as he enjoyed it, it's good. But there is a reality that we aren't just singing for him. We're also singing for one another. Part of our praise and our worship is preaching to one another. We sing these songs about God's great power and his glory and his love and his grace, what Jesus has done on the cross, his beauty, his magnificence, all of these things. And we are praising him for it, but we're also preaching to one another. Don't forget how good he is. Don't forget his love for you. Don't forget the truth of Jesus and the cross. Don't forget what he did in your place. Don't forget these guys. And because of that, I want to encourage you. Let's sing louder. Let's sing more passionately. Let's sing with more expression. Let's um, let's praise well, you guys. Let's do it. That's the first thing a spirit-filled community looks like. They're a singing community. The second thing is singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And that's linked to the third thing, giving thanks always and for everything to God. With our hearts, we're singing and praising him. A spirit-filled community is a singing community. But also a spiritual community is a community that is filled with thankfulness and gratefulness. Now, Paul is trying to say here that actually, no matter what you face, good or bad, we are able by the Spirit of God to thank God. You know, Some of you are in great seasons at the moment. You know, Some of you are preparing to get married. Some of you have just gotten promotions at work or new jobs. Some of you have uh, seen God answer prayers. Some of you are in a real sweet spot in your singleness or in your marriage. Life is good. But some of you aren't, you know. Some of you, this is maybe the toughest time of your life. You're really having to trust God with faith for certain things. Maybe your marriage is tough or being single is tough at the moment. Maybe money is tight. Maybe you're discouraged and none of your prayers seem to be answered, whatever it is. What Paul is saying there is a spirit-filled community can thank God in either season of life, which is an amazing thought. A spirit-filled community is a community of thankfulness, not of grumbling and complaining. I think sometimes we can be like that, you know. Any grumblers or complainers in the room? Oh, we've got one. <laughs> You're singled out. Well, Wendy's also saying there are a few of us. The reality is we do. I grumble and complain probably most weeks, if not most days, you know. But the Spirit of God should be changing our hearts from the inside out so we see less and less the things that we should be able to grumble and complain about and more and more the things that God has already done which should make us grateful even in the darkest and hardest moments of life. And fourthly, talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A spirit-filled community has changed relationships. Quite an amazing thing. Paul in Ephesians 5 is going to go on to talk about what spirit-filled marriage, family, and workplaces look like. And he redefines each of those roles. He says, husbands, you need to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Lay down your lives and serve her as a leader in the home. He talks to parents and he talks to kids. And he talks about the way they are to love one another and serve one another. He talks to bosses and employees and he speaks about the workplace. And he says, listen, guys, even if you don't like your employees, even if you don't like your boss, the reality is everything we do is worship to God. We're living for his glory. We're not just doing whatever we feel like when our boss treats us badly, when our employees give us a headache. He's defining a new type of life that is in the spirit. And those listy things can become a little bit dull and dry for us. Okay, seven things of how we follow Jesus, four things of a spirit-filled community. But right at the center of those two lists is Ephesians 5 verse 18, which says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit. That's the center of what is going on here. This is Paul's killer tip for how to live out the Christian life, is be filled with the Spirit. And there's a negative and a positive command in that passage. The negative command is don't get drunk, for that's a sin. And you've got to ask for a second, why does Paul put that in there? It's an interesting thing. I mean, I think it's really relevant for our culture. Like South Africa has got a big drinking culture. I think Durban has got a big drinking culture. And I want to ask us guys, the way of Jesus does not involve drunkenness. It's not what it looks like to follow him. So if you are getting drunk, if you are drinking too much, I want to call you to stop because of what the scriptures say out of obedience and worship to God. We've got to be careful how we handle alcohol. And what Paul is saying here is not that it's wrong to drink. He doesn't say Jesus is anti-alcohol at all. Jesus was the guy who went to a party and turned water into wine so that people could drink wine. Jesus is not anti-alcohol at all. Enjoy a good glass of red wine. I know I do. Enjoy a beer. Enjoy a cocktail, whatever you enjoy drinking. But we do it to the glory of God. Everything we're doing is worship unto him. You know. And Paul is writing here about what spirit-filled life looks like And he's saying, can we drink like Christians? Can we handle alcohol like the people of God? But why does he put that command here when he's talking about life in the Spirit? I was trying to work that out. You know, he's focusing on life in the Spirit, and then he talks about drunkenness. The first time I got drunk was when I was 17. And I'd been a good church boy, you know. I'd been in church from when I was 12. And for some reason, I was quite moral. I think I'm more like the, the legalistic side of do the right thing. You know, I'm a perfectionist. can be quite hard on myself. So I was like, that is wrong. I'm never going to do that. And a lot of my friends, probably every weekend, were getting drunk, doing some binge drinking stuff. That was their life. So I didn't hang out with them a lot. I didn't go to the parties that went to. And over time, I think my resolve eroded. And I wanted to hang out with them, and I wanted to have the fun they were having. So at first, I started just to go to be there. And over time, I decided, tonight, I'm going to do it. Tonight, I'm getting drunk for the first time, you know. And because I was like a bit of a novice in this whole situation, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I did it properly, and I did it quickly. And I was probably in bed by 8. I was out by 8 that night. After throwing up, (laughs) Megan liked that. After throwing up a little bit around my friend's garden, I was in bed. And I'm telling you, I was inhibited. The next day they told me the things I said. I said things I would never normally say. I did things I would never normally do. And I woke up with all sorts of bruises and scrapes and cuts because I'd been, I'd been probably getting a little bit wild and I'd been falling over quite a bit, you know. And I just thought if someone had seen me that night, I would love to have seen what I got up to. I'm, well, I don't know. But, a little segue there. But I think if someone saw me while all of that was going on, they would look at me and they would have said, he is under the influence, you know under the influence of that thing. And I think that's what Paul is trying to say to us here. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because probably even in this room, you might have been following Jesus for a long time. You were under the influence of other things. And maybe for you it is alcohol. Maybe you're under the influence of alcohol regularly during the week. And that's changing the way you act and the way you think and the decisions you make. Maybe you're under the influence of money. And actually, the decisions you make, the way you treat your work, the way you treat people is all shaped by living for money. It influences everything about you. Maybe you are under the influence of your family or your spouse in a negative way. Maybe you're under the influence of what other people think of you. So it is changing who you are and what you do. Paul is saying it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be under the influence of other gods, other idols, other substances, other worldviews, other things. We should be under the influence of the Spirit of God. And I was thinking about that. What are you under the influence of today? 
I've been breathalyzed twice in my life, um, both probably in the last three years. And it's been an interesting experience because I've found it fun, you know. I'd never done this before, and blowing on this device, and it kind of tells you what is inside you, what is going on. I remember waiting in this line in Hillcrest um, and just waiting to get to the front to do this, just thinking, is this thing going to, like, beep? Are the lights going to flash up? What does it say on its little screen? Does it say, under the influence, alcohol, no alcohol, good, bad? I don't know. But I found this interesting, you know, wanting to look at this device. And I just thought for us today, if in a sense we could have a Holy Spirit breathalyzer here in the room, and we all blew on this thing, what it would say, you know? What it would say is inside of you, what it would say you're under the influence of, what it would say you are filled by. So it might be helpful for some of us to think of what is guiding and shaping the lives that we're living and building. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The first is a negative command. The second is a really positive command. But I do think we struggle with this a little bit because of the way it's laid out. Now listen, I'm not a linguistic expert, but the guys I was looking at while I was preparing for today say that this is a passive verb. So we hear be filled with the Spirit, and we've got an idea of how that looks or how it works, but we're not 100% sure. It's kind of like me saying today, be phoned by your mom, and you go... What does Grant mean? I think he said it the wrong way. Be phoned by your mom. You go, well, I can phone my mom or I can receive a phone call from my mom, but I don't know if I can be phoned by her, you know? Does that mean I go and I call her or I wait by the phone until the call comes or is it both? How does that work? And that's what Paul's saying here, be filled with the Spirit. And we ask ourselves, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I need to do something or that God needs to do something? Do I need to just passively receive or do I need to do something to get the spirit that I don't have? And the answer is yes, it's both. Be filled with the spirit. Let me help you to understand that just a little bit more. I think we always, when we come to scriptures, have to unpack the fact we're reading English where the original languages were written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And one of the disadvantages we have when we come to a passage like this is we don't know what we don't know. So for instance, in the Greek and the Hebrew languages, the word for spirit is exactly the same as the word for wind or breath. That's quite new to us, you know? For me, those are three completely different ideas, not even in the same category. Maybe wind and breath would be in the same very broad category, but spirit would be in something completely different. But for a Greek or a Hebrew mind, when they hear something like this, they put them all together in one thing. Yes, be filled with the wind, the breath, the spirit of God. That's easy for them. And I think why that's significant is because throughout Scripture, we see this theme tracing all the way, showing God filling people with the spirit. So in Genesis 2 verse 7, right at the beginning of the Bible, we see God making Adam the first man. And it says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God breathed his spirit into this first man, and he came alive. And then just a little bit later, there's a parallel. Right at the end of Jesus' life, he's been crucified, he's been raised from the dead. And in John 20, verse 21 and 22, he gives his disciples this mission before he sends them out. And he says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, kind of like Jeff was talking about, to other parts of the country and the world for the purposes of God. And he says, and it says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Spirit. And then in Acts 2, verse 2 and 4 that we looked at last week, we see again at the birth of the church, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we see these metaphors or pictures or symbols, spirit, breath, wind, all throughout Scripture as God is working. In the beginning, when God gives birth to the first man, he breathes his spirit in him. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus breathes into his disciples. They are already alive, but they haven't been born again. In this moment, they are born again and receive new life in the Spirit. And then in Acts 2, we see the birth of the church. And the Spirit of God is breathed into the church. And his people, his community, his body comes alive to do the work that he's called it to do in the world. That's what we see throughout Scripture. And I think this breath, wind, spirit picture is so helpful to us understanding the work of the Spirit. Because in my mind, I would always think of a liquid illustration, you know? Being filled with the Spirit to me is more like having your petrol tank topped up, being filled. So I thought of two pictures. When I was young, my parents built their first swimming pool. And I remember as a kid being so excited about this. I remember us going to the beach and coming back and these guys had staked out the whole pool area. And then over the next few weeks, watching the guys dig it out and do their thing, put the concrete down or whatever they put in there, seal the thing up, wait for it to dry. And then my dad put the hose in the pool and the water started to fill up, you know. Until that moment, my sister and I could run and jump in the pool. It was bliss. The pool was full. Or maybe, for instance, like a bottle like this. I'm going to drink out of that this morning. The water levels will go down, but I can refill this. I can top it up, close the top, and use it again. I can refill it whenever it's empty and use it again. And I think that's some of the way we think about the Holy Spirit. It's like we've run out of petrol, so you fill up the tank. When it's full, you close it, and you keep driving. But I think this picture of the Spirit, like wind or breath, helps us to see life in the Spirit just a bit differently. Let me give you a breath picture to help you reframe this a bit. Imagine you're an instrument. I think Marion should probably be doing this. But a wind instrument like a flute or a recorder or a horn. Hey, Marion, there we go. There we go, a horn. You are useless if you're just lying on the ground with no one holding you and putting their breath through you, you know? You're just a piece of wood or metal or brass or bronze or whatever they make instruments out of. You can talk to Marion about it later. But the breath comes through and all of a sudden there's sounds and there's notes and there's music and there's beauty. And one of the things about this I so love is the church is like an orchestra or a band. Each of us are individual instruments, part of a greater whole. And as the breath of God comes through each of us, together we make beautiful music. We release the sounds of God into the world around us. The music of God is heard throughout Durban and the world. That's what the Spirit is doing. Or maybe to use a picture of wind, which is more powerful. A good Durban illustration is probably kite boarding or kite surfing. don't know if anyone does that in this room. No one. Not anyone in this room. I've got a friend, John Daniel. He lives in Salt Rock, Belito, that area. And he was speaking to me about this the other day. Who am I meant to be pointing at, Megan? Oh, okay, Dave. Well, you should be doing this illustration, not me. But he said he would get onto the water in Salt Rock, and he would need a spotter because the power of the wind would carry him down the coast to Amschlange or Durban North or Durban. And then when he finally got off on the beach, he would be picked up and he would be taken home. But it's something of getting that kite into the air and the wind catching it and that power just moving you. You don't have to do anything except just kind of keep with the wind and you go all the way down the coast, you know. I was talking to the deacons about this on Thursday night, and Christo said he'd watched this video clip of someone getting caught by the wind. They're learning to catch the wind. 
learning to kite surf. And the wind caught their kite and dragged them along the beach, dragged them along the grass, dragged them over four lanes of traffic and smashed them into a building on the other side of the road. That is the power of the wind. Be careful when you learn to do new things. It's really, really important. But there's this reality that there's something of the power of the wind and there's something of our expertise and skills. You could go down to the beach later and see someone learning to windsurf. I don't think that's really in vogue at the moment, but if you were doing that, you could imagine trying to learn this, getting on and trying to get your balance right and then trying to get the sail up and then trying to catch the wind. I know for me, I would fall over many, many times. It would be a bit embarrassing. But someone who knew what they were doing, they'd get in the water, they'd have their balance, they'd get their sail up and they'd just get it in the right direction, catch that wind and they'd be cruising, you know, they'd be going wherever they wanted, ramping over waves, doing little flips, whatever they were good at, because they worked it out. They know the power of the wind, they know how to harness it, they know how to catch it and move with it. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, you know. We get our sail in the right place and the power of God catches that sail without the wind, Our sail is just limp and flappy, kind of like an old sheet or something like that. But when we catch the wind, all of a sudden the sails fill up. And then there's this power and pull for us to go and do what we need to do. You see this picture here in Ephesians 5.18 isn't be filled once. And it's not be topped up from time to time like a petrol tank or a water bottle. It's be filled continuously. Be filled again and again and again every single day. Actually, our sails need to constantly be filled with the Spirit, and going wherever it is He is leading and guiding us. One more story from me. When I was a young boy, we didn't have Netflix or YouTube or DSTV or Mnet. Very dark days, you know. And we just had SABC 1, 2, and 3 on TV and a bit of ETV when that came out. So if the weather wasn't great on holiday and you didn't have any mates to hang out with, you would be watching basically soap operas or infomercials, you know. So as a young boy, I chose the infomercial option. I don't know if you know, Shane Cadman was a top Verimark salesman. He was very, very good back in the day. So he probably sold this to me when I was young. And basically, I was watching Verimark, and you'd see the Bauer pans, and you'd see those uh, Shogun knives and all of those other products they used to have. And one holiday, they brought out the coolest helicopter cart of all time. I remember seeing this thing, and probably for days, I just watched this infomercial, and I was like, I need this cart. I had the money, birthday money, whatever it was. I was ready. On the weekend, we were going to go to Pavilion, and I was going to get this thing. And it was so cool. It was green, black blades. Got this thing home, and I pulled this out of the box, and I was ready to fly my kite. You know what happened? There was no wind. My parents knew. They said, Grant, we'll take you tomorrow. We'll take you to the beach. We'll take you to a windy place. But I thought, I know better. I know better. I put my kite down there. I held my little ropes back. And I waited for the wind to catch my kite and lift it in the air. But no luck, you know. So I threw the kite in the air. I threw this helicopter up. And it fell down, nothing. So I spun the blades and I threw it in the air, hoping. But there was no wind, you know. For us to be filled with the Spirit and keep being filled with the Spirit does require a bit of experience. We're going to learn and grow in this over time, but it does also require that we're in the right place. Sitting on our bank at our home in Kloof, I was not in the right place to catch the wind. Probably the beach would have been better. Just thinking for some of us, even as I speak about this today, you might realize you are going to have to move if you want to catch the Spirit and what He's doing. The first move is to be positioned in Christ. Are you in Him? Are you in Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Have you put your trust in him? Are you following him? The second thing is, are you following him now? 
because some of us are in him, but we're doing our own thing. We're following something else. We're under the influence of something else. We're doing our own thing. And today it's like God is saying, right, if you are going to catch the wind of my spirit, if you're going to be empowered and led by me, you're going to need to move to a new place where I am and where I'm doing something. You can't be on your own mission doing your own thing. And Harbor City, we don't want to kind of end today and just say, I hope that you've learned something. Now have a wonderful day. We'd really love to practice this today. So what we're going to do is, can I ask you to stand? If you don't mind, I just want to ask you to close your eyes as the band kind of comes up and starts to pray. I'd love us just to fix our eyes on Jesus a little bit and even just start to get in kind of a prayer zone, if I can ask. What I'm going to ask you today is we've got some leaders who are prepared and ready to pray for you. And if I could ask our deacons and leaders just to go to the sides of the room or maybe to come near the front, just so that people can identify you and can find someone that they can speak to. Now, if you're here and this morning you want to be prayed for to be filled with the Spirit, you can go and speak to one of them. You might also just feel, as I've spoken, there's something God is highlighting to you. And actually, you do want to talk to someone. You want prayer for something else. The leaders are there for that. We want to create space for that. You also might feel uncomfortable to leave your seat. I don't want to pressure you to do that. Maybe you can chat to the person who you came with and ask them to pray for you. But we would love to ask the Spirit to fill the sails of our lives, that we are filled with power. We would love to come to Jesus this morning and respond to him. Maybe God wants to speak through you today. Maybe there's some things he's wanting to say or do. So can we just open ourselves up? So Holy Spirit, I just invite you. I just say, come Holy Spirit. Would you come and meet with us? Would you empower us? Would you fill us? Would you speak to us? Where we are empty and in need, would you refresh us this morning? I pray, Lord, that you would meet us where we're at and that you would speak the words to us that we need to hear because we want life in the Spirit and we want to be filled with you, Holy Spirit. So would you come and meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name.